here at That's So Chronic, we are dedicated to sharing personal stories. We are not advocating any type of treatment, therapy, procedure or intervention. Everyone is unique, so please seek professional medical advice before making any decisions for yourself or for others. Welcome to That's So Chronic, the podcast where I, Jess Bryan, interview some incredible people from around the world that are thriving and sometimes only just surviving with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries and potentially disastrous diagnoses. Today I'm joined by the lovely Sarah Gandhi to chat about her breast cancer diagnosis. You might recognise Sarah from the various TV, radio and MC gigs she has done around New Zealand, but also more recently from launching the very successful Change in Check campaign that rolled out across the country this month in collaboration with the New Zealand Breast Cancer Foundation. In today's episode, we talk about boobs, in particular her boobs, but also why it's important to check your boobs. We discuss in depth her breast cancer diagnosis, what chemo, surgery and radiation looks like, the support she had throughout her treatment and of course the inspiration behind the Change and Check campaign. A gentle content warning before we begin, while Sarah is extremely positive and energetic, we do talk about death and the realities of cancer in this episode. So if you are not feeling strong enough to listen on your own today, I recommend listening with someone you trust. I hope you enjoy this episode. I feel so lucky to be able to bring it to you today. Welcome to That's So Chronic. Sarah Gandhi at oh. Sarah on the Radio. Kia ora. Welcome. Thank you for having me. And happy Breast Cancer Awareness Month. <laughs> Thanks. It's like a birthday for boobs. Do we say happy? We're happy, I well, are I was, we? And you made it sound great. Yeah. So I'm happy that people are spreading awareness. Same. You know, somebody said to me, oh, why do you guys get a whole month? And I was like, there's a lot of boobs out there. Yeah, there are a lot of boobs. Yeah. And to be fair, it'd be nice if we were talking about it outside of the month also. Yeah. That'd it's not great. just exclusively October. No, no. There are plenty of diagnoses that happen outside of October but uh, no I think I think it's actually quite a different month for different people yeah you know I know some breast cancer survivors really lean in and like throw pink parties and just mm-hmm. like fundraise and go to town and then other people are just like ugh, pink washing and don't want a piece bar of it and just you know yeah for them it's a chapter of their life that they really don't want to think about and then suddenly this big pink month comes along that just like shoves it in their face with you know items in the supermarket and it's all over Instagram and yeah so and I get I think both of those are, you know views are re- both really valid and it's totally valid if your feelings are changing throughout the month as well like 100%. it's a roller coaster I can imagine yeah and actually um you know this we used what this month to launch the change and check campaign in New yes, Zealand yes which we'll definitely get to yes and I, before we were launching it I was like right if I do this, I'm totally going to become the boob cancer lady. And do I want to do that? Because, you know, I'd like to start living a life beyond cancer. That's kind of been my life for the last almost two years. Yeah. So do I want to prolong it? But then I thought, no, I should. <laughs> no, I should. It's, it's a really good good cause. And hopefully I think the idea will make a difference. So yeah. I thought, I'll just lean in. I'm going to lean in. Lean in. And then get Let's it out there. It. And then hopefully it'll get a life of its own anyway. And then I can lean into something else. Because people probably recognise your voice, your dulcet tones from <laughs> the radio. You've worked yeah. in radio and television for a while. Really long. Yeah, like 18 years. Yeah, from ZM to the Hits Breakfast Morning Show. Yeah, look at you. You did your homework. I, well, oh, man. It 
it was an absolute honour going down the Sarah Gandhi rabbit hole on the internet. I want, I don't, I'm like, what is in my rabbit hole? Okay, I'll tell you a piece of interesting information. Oh, yeah. Okay. That you have a history of youth health advocacy. I do, I do. I that, think that's amazing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I do, actually. I think I did it almost a year at Vic Uni and then went, what am I doing? I don't, why am I doing an arts degree? Where is this taking me? <laughs> and so I had started working part-time as a youth health worker and then I kind of did it full-time for a little bit until I decided that maybe I wanted a career in broadcasting yeah. because and also I think in my head I'm like health is something I could always go back to yeah. and now weirdly I have these two worlds combining where yeah. I've got my you know skills and contacts in broadcasting and then I've got my kind of health thinking although really really most of it is just because I had breast cancer and so now I can sort of talk about it from my own experience but yeah yeah I really loved working in youth health it's a pretty amazing it spaced. sounds incredible. Yeah, I learned so much and it was pretty confronting at times. Uh, and actually, when I started working in radio, I don't know if you know the Sealed Section, which is a show. It's been on ZDM. It's sort of been off oh, on yes. ZDM for yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we would get a doctor in and a nurse in and young people could ask their questions about sexual health and do it anonymously. And that was something that I started at ZDM when I was the intern wow. at ZDM. I remember pitching it to my boss. That's so cool. Yeah. And still to this day, I meet people who are like, oh, I used to love Sealed Section. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. So, yeah, it's good. And you've also become the New Zealand Breast Cancer Foundation's latest ambassador. Yeah. Congratulations. Thanks. They gave me the big phone call. And at Aww. this point, I'd already, um, we'd already been working on Change and Jet together. So I was like, well, I'm kind of already doing it. So, yeah. yeah why wouldn't absolutely. I? Absolutely. So, yeah, you brought, with the help of your friend, Change and Check to mm. New Zealand, mm. which we'll get, I think we'll get to that a little bit later. Yeah, because totally. What I'd love to chat more about is that, of course, you were diagnosed with breast cancer. What a hoot, eh? What a hoot. Where do we even start? Should we go all the way to the beginning? Yeah. You found a lump yep. in one of your boobs mm-hmm. in October 2018. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I, you know what? I wasn't even doing a self-check. Yep. I wish I could say what a wonderful organized person I was but I literally was just like scratching my boob and Mm -hmm. went oh that's weird and then kind of felt it a bit and then I got my husband to to check it out because I thought you know my boobs so you might have felt this before and he's like I've never noticed that and so because my friend Delaney Tabron who's a Kiwi she lives in LA now but she's a Kiwi who's the same age as me and she'd just been through breast cancer herself right and I thought if I don't go to the doctor I'll be in so much trouble with her so you know I have to get it checked so I actually you know booked in with the doctor like that week okay and when I went to my GP she I remember her going cool let's just take a look and I was like do I have to take my bra off? And she's like, yes. I was like, yes, that's how okay. we do that. I'm just, not, I'm a bit of an ever notice, but that's fine. Okay, okay, we're going to have to get over this. Good. Did so, you have a great GP? Like, did brilliant you GP. Cool. I am such a fan. And actually, I'm gutted because she's just left um, my medical practice. And I'm, mm-hmm. yeah, so. He's going to follow her I know, around. I'm like, I need to find out where she's gone because she is yeah. she is phenomenal. And even she said, you know, in all honesty, she checked it and went, look, I don't think it's anything, but I'd hate to be that doctor that didn't do anything, didn't yeah. refer you on. So let's get it checked so I, I was referred on this is all through the you know public system to get a mammogram and then I got a letter saying you'll you've got an appointment in 12 weeks now excuse my ignorance I haven't had to get a mammogram but that's is that a long time well oh uh, yeah, yeah yeah I mean I think I just was like well I guess that's how it works and I guess if I was high risk it wouldn't be that long you know you, you in your head I put so much faith 
in the medical system that that was totally fine. And so I just went, okay, well, I'm a little bit freaked out, but I'll just get through life. Yeah, like maybe this is just what happens. Yeah. You find a lump and it takes three months. And you know what? I was had a whole lot of stressful stuff happening at work at the same time. So I was sort of like emotionally one foot in that camp and then one foot in this potential lumpy cancer diagnosis camp. Yeah, because I was going to say, you're working in breakfast radio, yeah. which I think a lot of people would struggle with at the best of times, oh, let alone when they've just found a lump. Totally. And I actually think, I don't know how people do it. You know, there's certain people on radio that have done it for so long and I have no idea how they're still doing it, if I'm going to be honest, because the toll, the toll it takes on you, both mentally and physically, yeah. is insane. Getting up at four in the morning. I mean, anyone that's ever done shift work mm. will know that's a really hard thing to sustain for a long time. Yeah. So anyway, so, that, so I was very distracted, I think, and I just used that as a distraction. But then finally got my mammogram and ultrasound and the look on the radiographer, radiographer's face was that that it wasn't good. He wouldn't tell me that it wasn't good, but it was all over his face. And he said, we need to get you in for a biopsy as soon as possible. So a day later, I was back in for a biopsy. What does the biopsy entail? <sighs> It's pretty t- uh, giant needles. Yeah. Giant needles, which for a person who was a massive needle phobe was really, like I wouldn't look. And every now and again I'd look over and they'd be pulling out another massive, you know, it felt like it was a metre long packet mm-hmm. of something. And I'm like, okay. So it was, like it wasn't easy. Um, I ended up having to have a second biopsy where they, well, kind of where they put some clips inside me. And that time... I had a little bit of lorazepam sedation beforehand, and that was much better. Yeah, so you're awake for this. You're awake. And, and halfway through, I said, is there any NOS? <laughs> because yeah. the maternity ward is just there. Yeah. And, that would be, and they start laughing. I was like, I'm not kidding. Yeah, this is real. <laughs> because I think, because I had, at that by that point, I had two lumps, and they found some stuff in my armpit, my lymph node. So I think they took something like 13 or 14 biopsies. They do They do, do use lidocaine like they use at the dentist to numb it, but, you know, it only did so much. Yeah. And they try, they try and make it, and not everybody has the quite intense biopsy experience that I had, so I don't Don't want, be put off by I this really don't want to put people off, and I think if you know that you are nervous with that kind of thing, then get someone to drive you and talk to them about, is there some kind of sedation I could have beforehand, which might be just they prescribe you some lorazepam that you get from the pharmacy or whatever. So anyway, that was quite full on. And then the waiting for the result was just, I think the waiting was worse than the actual diagnosis. Yeah. It's because you catastrophize and you think the worst and... Which is normal. Yeah, it is normal. And I think the unknown is scarier than the known. You know, how do you tackle the unknown? That's quite difficult. And you just had your friend Delaney go through breast cancer. You know, it's it's a yeah. thing that could have definitely been a possibility. Completely. And I'd said we'd actually visited her a few times while she was getting treatment. And one of those times was when she was right in the middle of chemo and she lost all her hair and she just, you know, I remember seeing her and God, she was a warrior. And she actually, you know, part of me goes, she looked amazing. She put on a wig and a hat and we went out for dinner and she just looked like this glamorous sort of, you know, just beauty. But also you could see that it was really taking its toll and she was really tired and, you know, it's a lot. So you're like, okay, that could be me in a few months. Cool. So when my GP um, saw that we would be getting results, she actually rang and said, do you want to just better give them to you over the phone when I get them rather than an appointment? I was like, yep, let's rip that Band-Aid off, please. So I knew that um, Luke, my husband, was going to be home on the the days that I was likely to get a phone call. And, you know, so we were like, cool, this is great. And so when she rang, actually, in a way, it was like a relief because I finally knew something. Knowledge Which, is power, right? Eh? Yeah, and it seems weird to go getting a cancer diagnosis was a relief. But I think, I think I've think i talked to a few people that had the same thing, that 
they'd rather know and then go into like management mode yeah. and deal with it than be wondering what the hell's going on. And constantly going, what if it is? What if it isn't? What this if- is it. Yeah. And she, you know, one of the things she could tell me over the phone was they have to do more tests. But what what we think at the moment is that it hasn't metastasized. So it should be, you know, something that is hopefully curative okay you know and so you're like okay cool so we're going for curative we're not like in this thing of like you're just going to be on treatment for the rest of your life and the rest of your life might not be very long yeah. you know that which is that's that's a diagnosis that a lot of people with cancer get so i was like okay cool right already finding positive let's do yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and really just being like cool what do we need to do next yeah so and what is next so next um was a meeting with i had i actually we were really lucky we had health insurance so my next meeting was with public with a breast surgeon who you know took me through right you're gonna have a whole bunch of scans but this is what we know kind of thing and so that was kind of like a, you're not going to get out of chemo because it's in your lymph nodes. You're absolutely having chemo. You're going to have to have a mastectomy. Here's the reconstruction options. They kind of could only really offer me one. And I knew there was more choices. So at that point, I was starting to think, mm, maybe I should look at if I can go private. So it was really just a preliminary thing. And had you been diagnosed, they said you have breast cancer. Yes. Yeah, so I had with my GP on the phone. I actually think that breast surgeon thought she was coming in to drop the bomb for the first time. Right. So when the nurse came in, I was like, hey, just so you know, I already know it's a breast cancer diagnosis. So yeah. just just so you guys don't like weirdly ease into it. And I yeah. just, just kind of want to get into it. And there are a few different types of breast cancer. What is yeah. your... What was happening? What, what was, was the di- definition of it? Yeah. yeah, so mine is um, infiltrating ductal carcinoma. So um, it was, there's actually two tumours, one of which by the time I got to starting chemo was at almost eight centimetres. Wow. <laughs> it's ginormous, yeah. And I also had a little bit in my lymph nodes, but it was really a small amount. So it was starting to go somewhere, but just really starting. Okay. And it was HER2 positive and ER positive so that means that it's estrogen receptive yeah um so estrogen was feeding my cancer and funnily enough before I was diagnosed I'd but I'd been doing these tests because I felt really out of whack and uh I found out that my estrogen was like through the bloody roof wow yeah like just crazy amounts of estrogen going on which made sense because I got really awful periods that were just like you know debilitating and yeah I could t- I could tell that I was out of balance yeah something wasn't right yeah so then to find out I've got a breast cancer that's being fed by the copious amounts of estrogen rolling around my body yeah. I was like oh this is great okay gotta get- estrogen has a lot to answer for estrogen I you. until you don't have it and then trust me because then that happens during cancer yeah, treatment right. and you're like oh god bring back the estrogen <laughs> please somebody but um yeah so I very kind of quickly got through that diagnosis and then we thought right well let's see I, I mean part of it because we thought, we've got health insurance let's see if we can use it uh, it might give me some more options but also public is really busy so why sit in a seat in public that somebody else could be using yeah if I can go do it somewhere else. Yeah, if you have that option. Yeah, and we had great health insurance, luckily. Um, so we dove on in. I got some recommendations of some, you know, great oncologists and breast surgeons and managed to, like, kind of pick my A team, which was yeah. amazing, just mm-hmm. to be like, right, these are the people I really want, and they were all available and it was all on. So suddenly um, I was seeing um, another oncologist to go through my diagnosis, another breast surgeon, but from then on it just went really quick and I had really great options laid out for me in terms of, you know, they said, what's your wish list? 
um, through treatment mm-hmm. and I was like, to be alive <laughs> would be great. Yeah, like that's we're just that's where we're setting the bar, people. <laughs> we're setting the bar at let's survive. Yeah. Um, but no, I was like, you know, is there a way that I can have reconstruction at the same time of my, as my mastectomy so I go to sleep with the boob and I wake up with the boob? Is that a thing? And they're like, yeah, and it can be. Yeah, we can look at that. Another one was I've heard that some people don't have to lose their hair from chemo. How does that work? And they're like, yes, cold capping is a thing. So, you know, through chemo, because basically all breast cancer chemo means you're going to lose your hair. Yeah. I wore this cap that freezes your scalp to minus four degrees. Okay. Yeah. And you wear that while you're getting the chemo? Correct. And what it does is it stops the chemo reaching the hair follicles on your head. And so some women still lose a lot of hair, but the regrowth happens faster. So for me, I probably lost about 10% of my hair. So that was pretty amazing. I kind of looked like I had a little undercut on my sides by my ears, but yep. the rest of it, you know, it just thinned out a little, but yeah. that was fine. Um, you still lose like your eyelashes and your eyebrows and, you know, your pubes and all of that stuff. That all goes. But just to be able to um, have a have a semblance of feeling like you could look in the mirror and see yourself yeah. looking back was actually really helpful from a mental state so I did that but yeah I did chemotherapy before surgery which is quite unusual I think it's becoming more usual but that was amazing because it meant I could see the chemo like literally melting away the tumors wow yeah like every round I did six rounds to start off with of the really gnarly chemo and like every round we would check it out and literally you could see the lump getting smaller you could feel it getting smaller and then by the time I got to surgery they pull out all your tissue and there was no evidence of disease it had been like nuked completely yeah the chemo did its job yeah so that was phenomenal what was the chemo like like how often were you going in to get chemo so every three weeks I would go in um it took the first one took a long time they they do it slowly the first time just to make sure your body doesn't just like freak out so I think my first day in chemo was like nine hours or something um but then by the end it was usually taking about five five and a half six hours which is you know it's still a day but like what else am I doing so. And what was happening side effects wise with mm. the chemo? So the anti-nausea meds that they have these days are incredible. Mm-hmm. As long as you take them properly. One morning I kind of mixed up my dosage a little bit and didn't take enough. And then the nausea was horrendous. Okay. But generally when I nailed my um, meds, then it, don't get me wrong, it's kind of like being hungover. It's, you know, it's not like you feel amazing, but it's not what you see in the movies. Well, you know what? For some people it might be, so I shouldn't say that. For me, it wasn't like what you see in the movies. It was, I mean, there were still times where I would just wake up and be like, yeah, today's not a great day. And this is the three weeks in between? Yeah, generally the first week and a bit were the worst. Mm -hmm. Um, The first couple of days were not too bad because you were still sort of have residual steroids. Yeah. So you're like, I feel quite good. And then like day three will roll around and you're like, I've been hit by a bus. Yeah, what is happening? Yeah, Yeah. and just your whole body would suddenly ache and you could just feel – yeah, you were not superhuman anymore. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, just the normal things, like the reality is is chemo affects anything that's fast-growing, so... Yeah, I was ju- I was reading about chemo, and it, liter- it it kills any cell that divides. Correct. And that can be, like, hair, the lining of the digestive system, yep. your skin. That's it. What else? There's, there's like, nails, so many... Nails. Yeah. People's nails turn black and fall off. Yeah, wow. Mine didn't turn black, but I did get these, like, lines... That's like rings on a tree eh? where you could see where the chemo hit. And my nails are still pretty terrible, but yeah. they're on, they're attached, so yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. They're on. But um, uh, but my nails would ache. They would uh, like be so achy. Digestive problems, you know. Um, you lose your taste buds. Wow. So usually for about two out of every three weeks, I couldn't really taste anything. And 
it turns out that texture when you can't taste stuff is so important like chicken just was like you were eating pieces of dry cardboard it was horrendous um but then you would crave like really sweet stuff because sugar you could kind of cut through you With could sugar. almost taste it so like things like custard that I haven't had since I was like eight years old <laughs> yeah. suddenly I'm like can we just can you go to the dairy or whatever and get some get a thing of custard I was gonna have custard for dinner <laughs> and you know really as a cancer patient you want to be trying to ha- have nutritious things yeah. but also you're like just anything that you can get down yeah. and keep down at this point is important so yeah and during these six rounds of chemo mm. are you in complete isolation no no you're not and I guess um you know I really feel for people that are doing chemo through COVID because that's quite different uh, one thing they do now which I think they do I'm assuming they do for all breast cancer patients is the day after chemo I'd get a new Lester injection um or new Lester or however you pronounce it and it, what it does is it it gets your body to start building up white blood cells. So you get bone pain in your hips because that's where, you know, most of your white blood cells are kind of formed. Mm -hmm. But it means that you should be able to kind of be pretty good on the immune system front. Okay. You might still have a compromised immune system, but you'd be so much worse if you weren't having those injections. So it meant that my immune system was okay. It wasn't amazing, but it wasn't as bad as it could have been. but I would still, I didn't really go to the supermarket. I didn't go to the gym. You know, I avoided like, we all know where those gymmy hotspots are now because of COVID. Yeah. But, um, you know, I avoided all those. In a way, I think COVID's pretty great for people that are trying to exist out there without a lower immune system. Not because not because of COVID, but because people are now suddenly way more aware of not being gross. Yes, I just switched onto a new MS treatment that really blasts your immune system. And right. my nurse was like, if anything, I think this is the perfect time it's to the get time. it done. <laughs> it is the time. Because, you know, you look at the flu this year, they reckon 1,500 people in New Zealand would have died but haven't yeah. because of the you know the hygiene things that we've been doing which is incredible like it just shows how disgusting we yeah. are <laughs> like we're gross guys I know like when I was like cleaning my phone and I'm like oh I have not done this nearly enough <laughs> no well I remember you know after my first chemo we'd booked a trip to Australia obviously before um I knew I was gonna have cancer and be in treatment for our wedding anniversary to go see a band that we love and I said to my oncologist oh my gosh should I like can the trip and he said you actually might find because you've only one round of chemo you might find you're up for it your immune system should be okay just take the precautions while traveling and you know just be aware so I was totally that person that got on the plane and like washed everything around me with wet wipes and I swear people would have been like what's up with this chick whereas now if I got on the plane and did that people would be like great idea yeah Yeah. she's got this down you know (laughs) so so it's so funny how the whole world is kind of caught up with actually a great way to just exist and and look after yourself and keep yourself healthy but yeah chemo like I got crazy red rash all over my face my my skin was horrendous my taste buds were gone you'd get achy you'd get nauseous you'd get muscle mass you know by the end of it I just had lost so much muscle and my fitness was like you know trying to get up some stairs was really hard and you're you're wanting to try and exercise because it makes you feel better but your body's just like running out of steam yeah so you just slowly feel like it's almost like being hit by a bus but in slow motion <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah and mm. what was the support like during these rounds of chemo well really quite amazing because my family live in Wellington and my husband's family live in England so it means that because we live in Auckland we had to rely on friends yeah so we there's a website that um Somewhere, a nurse has started, I think, called Support Crew. Mm-hmm. And you can go on it and create, basically invite people to be part of your support crew and go, look, we're really crap at asking for help, but we're going to need some. So we might be putting some, like, requests up. Wow. And then any of the people on here, if you think you could, like, help us, yeah. like, it's no pressure, but just, like, if anyone's up for 
making some food for us or doing whatever, dropping the dogs off somewhere. That's amazing. People just, and so it's quite a good, because we're not good at asking for help. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are like yeah. that, but you need to ask for help when you're going through any kind of, you know, illness. Yeah, because it's not just you that's no. going through this. Your husband is going, is there every step of the way. A hundred percent. And it can't all be on him. Yeah. And so we just invited our friends to join and we, you know, said, please don't feel like you have to join or feel like if you do join, then you suddenly have to do stuff. But they probably wanted to. Yeah. And that that's the other side of it is that people do want to help, but they don't know what to do. Yes. So it was the perfect answer for that because they could be like, cool, I just get to be in this group and then you'll tell me what you need. And then if I can do it, ta-da. That like, sounds great. I'll link that in the show notes so people can find that. Yeah, it's really brilliant. And so we um, we called it the Boob Ninjas. Great. <laughs> um, and so it was just a group of our friends who, you know, were willing, you know, to help. And so sometimes it might be like, after surgery, I'm going to need some meals because Luke's like looking after me and um, just he can't do all the cooking for two weeks. Like that's, yeah. He's already done a lot of cooking. Or it might be, um, can anyone pick the dogs up today because I'm in chemo and they're in... I don't know, dog daycare or something because yeah. they're going bananas, yeah. whatever it is. And people were just amazing. They'd drop out. I had one um, one friend who came around with my boob bag. Oh, I love that. And then in the, a couple of weeks later, he came around with boobarees. Great. Which was great, <laughs> which was great. But yeah, a lot, I mean, often it is like food or cleaning or pickups from chemo if Luke was working um, and couldn't get away. You know, friends would come and pick me up from chemo and take me home and just, just little yeah, things like that. That's awesome. So the support was amazing. Um, it was a real shame actually because I think – I. Th- I've heard of some people have really great support from work. That is not something that I had because I had just had a terrible time at work. So that was a shame. But I think for people that have um, supportive workplaces, that's also a really brilliant thing. Yeah. And for bosses to know that, um, you know, being able to be being supportive and being there for them so that they know that eventually they can come back to work and it's like you're yeah. going to be welcome back and that's a huge part of it I know some people that didn't get that from their workplaces and it's a real bummer I yeah. think because people spend so much time at work mm-hmm. that yes you've got friends and yes you've got fam- family but I actually think work is, yeah. a, is a part of that as well so um, I was weirdly talking to Nikki Kay about this the other night she was speaking at something and she made a point in her speech of saying just a note to the bosses, if somebody in your team gets diagnosed with breast cancer, please support them. Yeah. Because she had a very supportive boss. I think John Key was her boss when she was diagnosed and he was apparently amazing. That's great. But she's since been told by lots of people that their bosses were not so great. Yeah. So I think that's, you know, I, I thought, oh, that's interesting. That's, that's a common experience. And not something that's talked about very often, is it? No. And I think, you know, it's not just breast cancer. There's plenty of, you know, obviously this is why this podcast exists. There's yeah, pre- any pre- diagnosis, completely. really. That's it. People are living with things like this all the time and it doesn't actually take away from their ability to be brilliant at what they do but I think people just really can misunderstand things or misconstrue what that diagnosis might mean or yeah yeah so do you get offered free counseling when you get diagnosed with breast cancer you do you do I actually was already seeing a therapist so I stuck with her because she kind of knew my backstory I'd actually been having panic attacks in 2018 so we'd been working on that and so you know she was great um but you can you can get free counseling through the breast cancer foundation through the cancer society as well I think Mm -hmm. and they I think I don't know if Breast Cancer Foundation do it, but I think Cancer Society do also do counselling for family. Oh, incredible. Because I think that's really important, you know. It's yeah. not like, I always say, you know, it's not like one person that gets cancer. The whole kind of family unit gets yeah. cancer because you're all having to live through it mm-hmm. and deal with it. Yeah. So, yeah, and I, I would say mental health is super important. You follow that first and then your body will just kind of follow suit, yeah. you know. And I really think, 
looking after my mental health is why my body did so well with treatment. And so you said before that you were a needle phobe. Yes. I'm assuming that chemo is a lot of IV lines. Dude, it's okay. So I got a chest port put in, which Wait. is amazing, <laughs> but like, geez. So it's like for anyone that doesn't know what a chest port is, it sits um, just kind of, mine was just like above, um, you know, in my chest on my left hand side and it goes straight into a, a, I think it's like a main artery. Yeah. And that way they can just access the chest port by putting a needle in there. Yeah, which sounds kind of sweet, but actually it's just another giant needle being shoved into you. Yeah. Um, it's just not in your arm, it's in your chest. So I realised really quickly, also you're having a lot of blood tests. Yes. You're having a lot of scans where they have to inject you with contrast and then you're having surgery where you've just got a needle in your arm for like a whole week. And <laughs> so I learned really quickly, man, I'm going to have to get on top of this. Um, and I had a friend who's a hypnotherapist and I'd had hypnotherapy with her before and it had worked and she said, oh, if you need anything... You know, just come see me. Wow. And so I thought, right, I need to get on top of this needle phobia. I've got this bloody cold cap that's going on my head that's going to be freezing my skull. Yeah. And also just the anxiety around medical treatments and scans. Like I'd, I'd never really, I'd never spent a night in hospital. I hadn't done a lot of time in hospitals full stop. I hadn't really gone to hospital for myself at all. Yeah. So all of the medical stuff was really quite intimidating. Yeah. So that was kind of what we worked on was we worked on the needle phobia, mm-hmm. the cold capping, the anxiety around treatment, also visualizing um, the ninjas. The ninjas came back. So when I was getting chemo, instead of thinking about it like poison, I imagined it was little boob ninjas being injected into my body to like ninja the tumors away. I love that. That is a great image. Well, just I think visualization. I know it sounds real hippy-dippy, but I genuinely think it makes a difference. Yeah, and I've got Pac-Man. Pac-Man oh, in my brain. Brilliant. And they go around eating all the Perfect. bad guys. This <laughs> is it. And, and like, I don't know, it it seemed to work well. Yeah. I'm going to go with it. Um, But that was part of my hypnotherapy as well. And then she would record the session and I could listen to it like, oh, later, you know, like. I didn't know that you could do that. Yeah. So then you can go back and do the same session over and over and over again. Incredible. Amazing. So that was great. And that definitely helps with the needles. And so, also acupuncture, because oh, I, I also was getting acupuncture and yeah, that's needles. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So chemo's done. You've done six rounds. Yeah. What's next? So next is uh, mastectomy. Okay. And I had an immediate reconstruction. And so that the reconstruction I had is where it's called DEC, where they take your tissue from your body and then put it in your breast. So it's your own tissue. Oh. And then use microsurgery to feed it a blood supply. That is very fancy. Science, man. Yeah. Amazing. So during chemo... Basically, my surgeon was like, you just need to eat. We need you to eat because we need you to have a tummy because we're going to take that tummy and we're going to put it in your boob. And I was like, this sounds great. (laughs) Except I don't have any taste buds. Yeah, this is becoming more difficult. The custard, bring me more custard. Yeah, Yeah. so that was, I think it's like a nine and a half hour, 10 hour surgery. And that was my, well, actually, other than the chest port going in, that was my first surgery that I've ever had. So it was kind of like, okay, cool. Let's do this. But, the, you know, a mastectomy, I was really lucky. I'd, they had to get rid of my nipples. I've got one nipple because it was too close. But realistically, I've just got this sort of round scar where my nipple used to be. And then through that hole, they managed to take out all my breast tissue, scrape my breast, uh, chest wall, and then put in the the other tissue. So Extraordinary. It's incredible. And he's, you know, my other breasts still exist. And the, the surgeon managed to do a pretty amazing job of matching them. Yeah. So it is, it's a full-on recovery but to have my own tissue in my body rather than an implant was definitely on my wish list, you yep. know? Yep. So um, That's it, great that they could do that for you. Yeah, I was really, really grateful that that could, that could work for my body. So I was like, thank you, body. This is great. Yeah. Thank you, surgeon. <laughs> You're amazing. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's like you have to 
basically learn to stand up straight again because the amount of tissue that they take from your abdomen. Um, but you just – at the start it was really scary and then you just slowly, slowly go, okay, cool, we've got this. And after about a week I was kind of walking around like very slowly. And can you, you, can you get wet? Like is this uh, – I know. Actually, I remember when I was in – the the hospital so i think by day three they're like right you need to have a shower yeah yeah you're, <laughs> you're starting like, to smell Sarah. you're like okay sorry guys um so the and once again the never noticed is about to get like full nude in front of two strangers awesome can't yeah. wait guys and they were like right we're just gonna sit you on this chair and then put some plastic over your surgery sites and they were kind of like taping these, like i'm sitting there <laughs> in, tarpaulin. yeah in the nude drugged up they're taping these like plastic tarpaulins to me and i think I remember feeling like something out of the world of wearable arts. Like, I just, like... <laughs> Take me to Wellington. Totally. I'm here. I'm ready. Give me the award. Um, but it just was like, well, this is rock bottom. Like, this is this is pretty much amazing. But actually, the nurses are so amazing. Yeah. They make it seem weirdly normal that all of this is happening and yeah. they're very respectful and, you know, really caring. So, yeah, but you, you do have to kind of watch that. And I also had to hire one of those. <laughs> you know those lazy boys that, like... Old people have. Um, <laughs> so obviously not always old people because I have one. Um, but it's like electronic, but it takes you right up to standing. Oh, my God, yes. There's one on Grace and Frankie. And when I saw the Grace and Frankie episode, I was like, oh, my God, that's me. Um, but because you, at the at the start, you can't, yeah, of you've, you've got no core, really. So standing up is like good luck. Getting out of bed takes like half an hour and yeah. it's this whole thing. But, yeah, standing up was really hard. So I had this giant lazy boy in the lounge that I'd, I'd just propels you bing, <laughs> like just like I mean it was amazing and if anybody was having the surgery I'd say you should totally like I think it was $80 a week or something to rent yeah. and it just meant that I could actually get up and down by myself yeah because otherwise there's no way we have very loungy furniture otherwise there's yeah. no I would have just been stuck and that's so important for your mental health as well to have you know some independence totally and like I think at that point you've gone through six months of chemo you've been relying on someone off and on quite a lot and then you're having surgery it's like that you're starting to get to that point where you're like I'd quite like to just get on with it now and like yeah. get my life back yeah so so yeah surgery and then once you've kind of bounced back I was back into targeted therapy which is Herceptin and Pajita and the um, drugs that target the specific type of breast cancer that I have okay and that kept going I did that every three weeks basically until at the hospital yeah at the, at, well at the it's a canopy cancer center so it's okay, a, yeah. just basically the same but all yeah. I do is cancer yeah. um yeah so I did that my last one was the day before level four lockdown in New Zealand yeah wow. yeah um but that was okay it was less side effects than the really turbo like they still had side effects yeah. but not as much is targeted therapy, is that radiation? Uh, no, then I also did oh, radiation. Okay. So that's so targeted therapy is like a chemo. Yeah, okay. It's just the hair doesn't fall out. Yeah. But, and then, yeah, I did 15 rounds of radiation as well. during. So that, that was kind of after surgery, yeah. Which isn't even that much compared to some people. Some people do, you know, uh, yeah. 30, something like that. What does radiation entail? Uh, it is not a lot, actually. It was I, The first thing they do is they have to tattoo these dots on you. Oh. And I'd never had a tattoo in my life. Oh. So I'm like, oh, first tattoos. I'm like, what is that episode of Friends where Phoebe gets the dot? And she's uh, like, yeah, she's like, it's how my go. mother sees me from heaven. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's me. So I have these three dots. So they do that. And then they um, basically they line you up and create a mold. So every time you go in and you lie in this mold and that's how they can get you in exactly the very specific position they need you. Wow. It's really amazing, yeah. And then actually radiation, you'd turn up. You'd, they'd call you in and you'd go into this room with one of those big radiation machines that we kind of, I think we all know sort of what yeah. they look like, those beds things. 
And you'd lie down and then the radiation itself would take like 10, 15 minutes. Okay. First day I went in, they were playing the radio and hit me with your best shot, Pat Ben, and I was on the radio. And I was like, this is amazing. This is a sign. And so then every day that I did radiation, I would put it on my Insta story and try and think of a new song to yeah. like go. So I had like Alicia Keys, this girl was on fire. And then I had some like major laser and I had Lord Greenlight yeah. because the radiation laser was green. And uh, yeah, I really managed to think of some good radiation puns. Yeah. Uh, throughout my time but actually other than that the only other thing that was kind of odd is they put what looks like glad wrap it's like a film over where you're getting radiated because it um really causes you to have incredibly sensitive skin that then if your clothing rubs on it it can blister wow and because by the end of it i kind of had this square that looked like i had a weird tan line yeah some people get really burnt and blistered but i thought i would because i burn really easily but i don't know good on them i don't know what they did but yeah. I, I didn't burn so that was amazing um and some people have to use like a moisturizer or something to kind of keep their skin under control but it's not in terms of as an experience it's nowhere near as intense as chemo but for breast cancer anyway different yeah. cancers are different but uh, it does make you really tired that's okay. the thing so you're getting because your body is like busy Sometimes you forget like how much work your body's doing. Yeah. While you're just sitting around. How often were you going in for this radiation? Every day. Every day for e- 15 days. Yeah, every weekday, I should say, for oh, 15 yeah. days. Yeah, you had weekends. At, well, you know, because the team needed their weekends yeah. off. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, guys, you can have a life. All right, <laughs> it's fine. Um, yeah, so 15, 15 rounds every day, which wow. was actually fine because you kind of got to know people. Yeah. You know, there was a cute op shop near where I got my radiation. So like once a week I'd go to the op shop and like get a coffee and look at op shop clothes and then go get radiation or you know like you yeah just, I just kind of found ways to like it's like to make a day of it totally make a day of it but not too much of a day because actually you're really tired yeah. um yeah so that was and then and then after radiation finished it was targeted therapy and once that finished in March uh all I do now is I take tamoxifen which is a pill every day and I will do that for 10 years tamoxifen that helps keep it away doesn't it if yeah you've got risk of it yeah if back. it's an estrogen receptive breast cancer so I felt very grateful that my breast cancer was HER2 positive because Hesectin exists. HER2 positive used to be a terrible diagnosis, uh, but then Hesectin came along and suddenly it's it's one of the better ones. Estrogen receptive means that I can take tamoxifen, which basically goes in and blocks the estrogen receptor in the tumour, so estrogen can't get in. Okay. So that's another amazing tool in the tool, in the tool box. Yeah. Um, whereas women that have got triple negative breast cancer, they have less tools in their toolbox. So it's, you know, it's a bit scarier in terms of a diagnosis. And, uh, yeah, so I was very thankful that there was as much as I say gosh look at all these treatments it's definitely not woe is me I'm like oh thank god we have all these treatments yeah because I'd much rather that than be told hey you've got cancer and we can't do anything yeah you know that's not what anybody wants to hear so it's obvious talking to you just how inspiring and positive you are throughout all of this. Like, I don't want to take away from the fact that 100%, this must have been a really shit time. Yeah, it was. And, like, I actually am aware, because I am quite a positive person, and I worry sometimes when I talk about it, I don't want to devalue someone else's experience because it is shit. And there's plenty of people out there that are, like, really in it and are not finding the positive side of it. And... I do not judge them at all because, man, that is so fair enough. But it's just, I think you don't really know how you're going to cope with something until it happens. Yeah. You don't know how you're going to respond. You don't know how, how much you can take. And so I was really amazed at how much I could take both physically and mentally <laughs> um, yeah. and emotionally. But also, yeah, I think positive thinking is almost 
like a defense well not defense that's not because I'm not in denial at all yeah but it's a coping mechanism yeah and I think it's a real testament to obviously the work that you've put in to yourself even before this all started and during like I think it's not like you just woke up I mean I don't know but I assume you didn't (laughs) just wake up positive it was like it's a it's a it's work it's effort no it's absolutely and to be honest you know the fact that I've been having panic attacks yeah uh before I even had a cancer diagnosis or found a lump you know I was obviously like mentally I was not in a very good place right Mm. because you don't just get panic attacks when everything's fine yeah everything is not fine that is why the attacks are happening so because I had started working on that I think that actually really put me in a good place to then be able to take on a cancer diagnosis yeah. because I'd built up my own resilience and capacity. Yeah. And and also, you know, people – with mental health, people don't really know what to do. Mm-hmm. With cancer, people know what cancer is. Yep. It's very scary for some people, but people are far more accustomed to going, how can I help? Yeah. But with something like mental health, I think we, we're getting there. It's getting a lot better and, you know, like – when you see people like Todd Muller talking about his depressive yeah. anxiety and, you know, it's like, great. That's so great to see people like that just being honest about how terrible it was yeah. um, and normalizing it. But I think still our response to people when they're having something to do with mental health, we're, we're still not, we still don't quite know what to do with it. So Yeah, and just because you have cancer, mm. you still can still have mental health things going on. Absolutely. <laughs> no, and you can. That's, yeah. that's the other thing. So... Really, I think I just thought, oh, God, is this going to bring back the panic attacks again? How is this How is this going to go? Mm-hmm. But I also knew, well, actually, you know how it's going to go. If you just do all the work that you've already been doing, then hopefully it'll go okay. <laughs> yeah. and, it, and it did, you yeah. know. So tragically in New Zealand, we still lose about 650 people to yeah. breast cancer every year. Yeah. What was your relationship with that prospect, with dying, with death? throughout Mm. this whole journey so my mum died when she was 39 from cancer from bowel cancer uh and interestingly enough I did a genetic test and came back with no known genes so whether or not there's a link there that we just don't know about I'm not sure but Mm -hmm. being diagnosed with cancer at 36 and having my mum die when she was 39 is a fairly harrowing thing just to begin with and so I had to instantly kind of worked through that because it was right there in front of me and I had to kind of think about the fact that you know she died in the early 90s the cancer treatment a totally different cancer totally different diagnosis cancer treatment has come a long way but also I thought I don't want to just pretend like well you're not gonna die because actually well maybe you will so we need to talk about this so I had really great discussions with my therapist actually about death and the fear of death and you know, actually a lot of the fear of death for me was around what it would do to other people. Yeah. And also, would it be painful? Yeah. And and I guess the unknown. We're talking about the, the scariness yeah. of the unknown. But the reality is once you died, that's it. You yeah, know. Like, yeah. So, yeah, and you're done. And it is the people that you leave behind. That's it. So then it was talking about, okay, well, what can we do? Like, should it come to that point where the prognosis is that that's it? Then we can manage that. But right now, that's not the prognosis. Yeah. The prognosis is that you're going to be alive. And there's treatments, and we're going to try everything. That's it. And actually, you know, I... So anyway, so we did talk about death a lot, and I came to a much better place in terms of death and being really happy talking about... I'm so comfortable talking about death now. Um, But also, I think the other thing that I did a lot of listening to and have done so recently is Eckhart Tolle. Okay. So he has put out... He actually put out some free kind of lectures or talks for the pandemic because a lot of people are going through you know some pretty intense stuff and Mm -hmm. how do we make it an opportunity rather than a you know issue 
even though it is an issue. Yeah. Uh, but he talks about death quite a lot, and that, that I won't go into it because it's a whole other conversation. But if anybody wanted to, I'd, I would encourage you to go and listen because that also made me feel a lot more comfortable okay. about death. Yeah. Um, but I also kind of wanted to go cool sweet well that's done I think I'd like to just tell myself that I'm not gonna die though yeah <laughs> and like positive thinking will myself to stick around yeah because yeah. that's the other thing is I didn't want to will myself no. into death yeah like we talk of manifesting and I don't want to manifest that that's it <laughs> that's exactly it so I sort of f- confronted it yeah really looked it in the face and then went okay see you later and from then on in I was like I'm we're just gonna beat this thing and actually you know having chemo before surgery and seeing it melding away cancer was a really like stuff like that was a very helpful process because it makes you go great the treatment's working I can see it like tangible evidence that we're kicking this thing yeah. in the butt. The boom ninjas and ninjaring. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And, fr- and then that was it. I mean, still now I'm just, I, there is the fear of recurrence because breast cancer can come back at any point. Yeah. Two years, five years, 20 years. But I have to tell myself, you can't live life that way. Well, for me, I can't. I could be hit by a bus tomorrow anyway. Yeah. So I'm just going to keep chugging on and try and do as much as I can within reason to like minimize my risk of cancer coming back. But actually you could still do that and it could still come back. So just yeah. gonna live your life. Yeah, I read yeah. a really awesome quote this morning when I was watching a YouTube video, and it said, "We live two lives. Our second one starts when we realise that we yes. only have one." Yes, a hundred percent. And I think um, I'm so much better at being in the now. Like, and that sounds so cheesy, I know. And like the great, I say the word grateful a million times a day, and that's also <laughs> so like oh cheesy. But it comes from a really, really genuine place because yeah. I'm really grateful to be here. Just stoked, just happy to be here, guys. I'm grateful for you to be here. <laughs> Thanks, mate, you too. Um, you know, just happy to be here, genuinely, but also um, just way better at, I think I used to be like, what's next, what's next, what's next? Yeah. I was running on adrenaline all the time. I worked in media, which felt like, in media, it's always what's next. Mm-hmm. And so I was living my life like that. And now I'm a little bit more like, yeah, but what's right now? Yeah. <laughs> what's happening right now? How about this <laughs> cookie? Yeah, great, excellent. Uh, which is way more fun. <laughs> you spread so much awareness about breast cancer. And for that, I think so many people are grateful for you. Mm. You were diagnosed with breast cancer in January. Yeah. You made an Instagram post in February. <laughs> and a couple of weeks later, you were already in Women's Day magazine. I talking know. About it. I, which was crazy, actually. Yeah, that's not a lot of time. No, I actually. To process this and then to start changing the world. I did. My, I remember doing photos and I'd never done Women's Day before, really. So I remember doing photos the day before I was starting chemo and I was like, what is my life? What am <laughs> I doing? I actually. I felt really. Like it was really important to talk about it publicly because I know that the reason I got myself checked so quickly was because a friend of mine my age had been diagnosed. And I was aware that if I spoke about it, there's a chance that somebody else would be in that same boat and would go, oh shit, maybe I should get on this. So yeah, I think, because I was like, why am I doing this Women's Day story at the time that I'm just trying to get myself into treatment? I was like, no, because you're happy to. Like, you're actually fine doing this. Do it now before you're completely wiped out by treatment. Um, But also you could maybe save some lives. And what was amazing is I actually remember sitting in my oncologist waiting room and I think it was like a week after that Women's Day article had come out and someone messaged me on Instagram saying, hey, I just want to let you know I've just been diagnosed with breast cancer. I saw your article. I went to the doctor. I got fast-tracked in and thank you. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, you think that worth it. You think that might happen, but that's like, you know, you just think that might happen. You don't know. Like, it actually happened. Yeah. Mm, So for me, I was like, great, that was was worth it then. And I know for me, if I 
even if I don't do a regular check, mm. I'm going to have you like, oh, you know, I'm haunting grumpy you. in my brain. <laughs> it's like there's no excuse now. No. And this is it. I was like, okay, I'm just going to be that person that just bangs on about it. Because yeah. so many of my friends are now way more breast aware. And I'm like, yes, yeah. job done. Thank you. Because the Breast Cancer Foundation of New Zealand released some really interesting research. Yeah. And I'm going to read all of these facts with the listeners today because it's really important that we know this. One in six Kiwi women under 45 never check their breasts Mm. and not knowing how is the number one reason. And 37% of those women under 45 don't know what to look for compared to only 8% of women over 45. Mm. And only 12% of women under 45 could name all of the signs and symptoms of breast cancer. So that means 88% of them can't. Yeah. 88% don't know the signs. And nearly, and this one gives me shivers, nearly one in eight of the respondents of this research under 45 have ignored a lump in the past. Yep. And you know what? With the one in six who check, whether or not they check regularly, and I mean like every month, I don't know that they do. I think they might check every now and again. I definitely, I probably would have gone, have I done a breast exam in the last six months? Yes, tick. You know, like whether or not, and and there's no judgment here because I was definitely, I didn't know the nine signs. I probably knew one or two. I didn't check regularly. I could have easily been the person that ignored the lump unless I had Delaney, my friend in my head telling me to bloody go to the doctor. You know, so there's, once again, no judgment. No, because I think we all can be better, can't we? Well, we, I, you just, I can just see how all of that can be true. Yeah. And and not because you're a bad person or because you're terrible at looking after yourself. Yeah. Just, you know, you've got other people relying on you maybe. You've got kids or family or whatever or work's and really busy. You don't think you're, you think you're invincible because we all think we're invincible until something happens. And you, know? you don't know what you don't know. No. And it's not until people like you start talking about this and spreading awareness mm. that we should be knowing. So enter the Change and Check campaign. Great segue, Jess. <laughs> Seamless. Um, so Change and Check is actually, um, I would love to take credit and be like, oh man, what a great branch out, you know, <laughs> do the Donald Trump. It's huge, it's huge. But uh, this was actually a campaign that was started by a woman called Helen Addis in the UK, who, if you want to follow her on Instagram, is the titty gritty and is hilarious. Excellent. Um, but she was uh, a breast cancer patient who then wanted to do something with it and works for Lorraine, the TV mm-hmm. show over there, if anyone knows Lorraine. Yeah, I have watched Lorraine. There we go. Yeah, she seems... I'm a Love Island gal, oh. so I've, they always go on Lorraine. Okay, great. Amazing, <laughs> amazing. So she, with the help of Lorraine, started this campaign and it was literally just stickers and changing rooms. I think they launched it with John Lewis and then kind of started getting it in more places that show the nine signs of breast cancer. I was listening to a podcast and they were chatting with her and I thought, God, that's a good idea and looked it up and then found more stories and the latest one was all these women coming forward saying, I saw the changing room sticker and I found my breast cancer and now I'm in treatment. Wow. And basically, you know, I've saved my own life by finding my cancer kind of thing because of the stickers. And so I was like, okay, this is bonkers. We have to bring this to New Zealand. Yeah, it works. It works. It's brilliant. Looking at the stickers, I felt like we could do maybe a slightly different job for, for New Zealand. Like, you know, just... I wanted to redesign them, so I reached out, said, do you mind if I bring it to New Zealand? She said, yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, amazing. And then I said, cool, do you mind if we redesign your stickers? I'm so sorry. <laughs> and she was like, no, no, go for it. Like, whatever you think is going to work. So then I reached out to Delaney, the breast cancer survivor, mm-hmm. who um, is my champion, and is also a designer, and said, would you mind redesigning these? 
So she did a phenomenal job of just kind of giving them a bit more of an Aotearoa flavour. We chatted with Stacey Morrison to get some wording for Tadeo to make sure that was right and mm-hmm. on point. And, um, you know, things like the boobs needed to be different colours. And yeah. we actually initially tried to do stickers that had different shaped boobs and boobs with like tan lines and stuff, which looked really cute. And that it was droopy boobs and like wonky <laughs> boobs. And But it was way too hard to take in the symptoms. Yeah. So we're like, okay, no, this is... Like what's actually important. Yeah, like yeah. hang on, what's our actual, you know, main thing? And it's to teach people the nine so so we created these stickers and um, then I went to the Breast Cancer Foundation and said, hey, uh, would you give me some money, <laughs> please? Uh, you know, just really going, would, is there any way you'd pay for the stickers? And they were like, no, we love this so much. We want to get right behind it. It's great. We'll resource it. We'll partner with you and, um, you know, help you with some contacts and stuff like that. So suddenly they became a partner and I'm so grateful that they could see the value in it because they have a lot of their own stuff going on. Yeah. Um, but they they believed that it could work. And so with their help, it launched on the 1st of October. It's in every farmer's changing room, uh, pretty much, although I have been into a farmer's and they weren't in there, so we need to deal with it, but that's fine. It's another thing. Um, Glassons, which I actually am particularly excited about Glassons because Glassons tends to be younger people, although I still shop at Glassons, so whatever. Um, You're young, Sarah. Thanks, mate. Thanks. Yeah, I'll take it. But I think, you know, like if you walked into Glassons and saw that and you're 20 and you're like, well, I shop at Glassons, so maybe I should be paying attention to this. You know, this isn't just an old lady disease, which a lot of, you know, people think it is. Um, But we've got so many places now have come on board. Uh, like little tiny medical centres. Somebody messaged me saying they were in a cafe in Arthur's Pass the other weekend and saw it. It's in men's changing rooms and toilets as well as women's, you know, because men can get breast cancer too. Or also men look at boobs too. Yeah. So all of this is important. Um, But it's... I love the fact that now it feels like it's taken on a life of its own. These stickers are, are happening in all these places that I never thought of. You know, I think... I, my hope is that it will keep doing that. It'll it'll kind of spread like wildfire, wildfire, and also that it won't just be for Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Yeah, because the stickers they're pretty. They're not ugly. You can put them up and keep them up. Yeah, uh, you know they're not offensive. I am kind of waiting for someone to complain about boobies, but. <laughs> Surely not. I don't know. I've put one on the back of my car. Oh, great. So that when people pull up behind me at the lights, yep. they've got nine boobs to look at. Yeah. Whether or not it's going to cause an accident, I hope not. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I am really, really stoked with how it's been received so far. AUT campus are going to get them through all the, out their campus. So I great. think I might need to get about going and getting in touch with the other campuses around New Zealand yeah. to do the same thing. You know, there's some big offices like Fonterra. They ordered a whole bunch. So some places where there's a lot of people that I, I just wouldn't have even thought about yep. really workplaces being a, a big big place for them, but actually a lot of workplaces are, are getting them. So I should say, if you're listening to this and you're like, yeah. oh my God, stop boning on the stickers. I just want to get some. Yeah, where do you get them? You Probably the easiest is to go to my Instagram, which is Sarah on the radio. And it's my link in bio. And there you just tell us what you need in terms of stickers, that A5 in size. So however many stickers you need, we can do your posters as well. And um, Pink Ribbon, or the Breast Cancer Foundation, will send them out to you for free. For free? Yeah. And then send me photos because I love seeing them. Like, honestly, whenever somebody sends me a photo of them putting them up at their workplace or, you know, or just that they've seen them in a changing room, it's like, it's like a one lotto or something. Like, it's yeah. like little, like, <laughs> zings of just, like, oh, just joy, pure joy. It's so nice to see. You are an absolutely <laughs> incredible person. Oh, So now, six rounds of chemo, mm. targeted therapies, a mastectomy, a reconstruction, 15 rounds of radiation, <laughs> yeah. and this pill now for the next 10 years 
every day. Yeah, well done. What does remembering all that. how does breast cancer fit into your life now? What is what does twenty twenty look like for you? So I think um, you know I'm really passionate about the change and check campaign, and I do want to keep going. I don't want it to just finish at the end of October. I w- want to find ways. You know, it's been going in the in the UK now for I think two years. So my hope is that it will continue to grow here in New Zealand as well. So that is absolutely on the table as a baby. I want to keep going, but also I don't want to be the can- just the cancer lady. I'm really aware of, um, I used to let my job really define my identity. So leaving that job was good to learn that lesson of like, hey, let's not just put all your value in what you do. Good life lesson, number one. Mm -hmm. There's probably a few people learning that in COVID, which is awful, but also maybe good. So I don't want to be just identified by that one thing, but I would like to keep the cancer stuff campaigning going and then get back into doing some other work stuff as well. What that looks like, I don't know. And actually, I've probably never been more open-minded about what might come next in terms of the career stuff. Yeah. It's quite nice to be in that space. Like I do a drama class. I've been doing an acting class for like three and a half years now, which I love. And so I'm like, yeah, no, maybe I'll be, I'll be auditioning for things. Maybe I'll end up on Shortland Street. Who bloody yeah. knows? <laughs> I don't know, guys. Somebody hire me. Yeah. Um, no, I, so I don't know, but that's not, it's funny because I think when I used to say I don't know, I felt really defeated by that statement, but now it's like I'm really hopeful and optimistic. Yeah. Because it could be anything. Yeah. And that's exciting. That is fantastic. And have you been given the word that you are cancer-free? Yes, I have. And that's, you know what, it's a really complicated answer actually yeah. to that because I, as far as they know, they say no evidence of disease. Okay. And I'm like, I'll take it. As yeah. long as it's not being too stealthy and like hiding out somewhere for a while. And in my head, I think even if it comes back, if I have a recurrence, then you just deal with it when it happens. I can't, yeah, I can't just worry about that, even though it's very tempting and it happens sometimes because yeah. you can't control your brain sometimes. Um, but yeah, I hope that if a recurrence comes back, I'll just dive on in there again and knock the bastard off. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. And whether you are male, female, non-binary, yeah. check your boobs. Please, we've all got chests. Some check of us, em. You know? Yeah, check them. That's it. Because I think there is a real thing of like it's an old lady disease and it absolutely isn't. And then we actually know there's, it's, they're still kind of getting their head around when people transition in terms of gender, how does that affect your chances of breast cancer? One thing we do know is that if you're born male and then you transition to female, you have a higher chance of breast cancer than a male. Right. So uh, because of the hormone treatment. So, you know, more and more we're starting to understand how that affects people. But really the easiest thing to say is just like everybody check and then we're good. Everyone go and check them. And if you want change and check stickers, head to at Sarah on the radio on Instagram. Click the link in bio. Yay. Thanks, Jess. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of That's So Chronic. If you want to reach out, you can find me at That's So Chronic on Instagram. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please press subscribe on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, leave a review wherever you get your podcasts, and tell everyone you know. That helps me get into more ears around the world to hopefully spread awareness and, more importantly, hope. <laughs>